Well, our sermon today, I've entitled A Biography of Love. And uh, in a little bit, we'll be coming to our text, which will be found in John chapter 17. But because it is a biography of love, we're going to look at several biographies today, Lord willing, in one sermon. And before I begin my sermon, let me again thank you all for allowing me the privilege of being back with you. I know time flies, as I like to say, time flies whether you're having fun or not, but time flies. And I'm not sure exactly how many months ago I was here with you all, but it was a blessing to do so. I've also worshiped with you on several occasions. So when Pastor asked me to be here on this first Sunday of 2023, I was so happy to do so. Uh, A couple of challenges. I have a little classic vehicle that I had here last time, a 97 Ford Ranger, and it's been a great vehicle to me. And I mean, especially as old as it is, lower mileage, but uh, decided that it wasn't going to put out any heat. And do you remember how cold last week was? Uh, it just wasn't a fun thing. So uh, we, we uh, kind of scrambled and I called pastor and I said, you know, I'm going to do a flight. And he said, no problem. So I, I made it. So you had to persevere, right? Whatever comes your way and thankful for that. Uh, being a, as you may remember, a first generation Hoosier, it's always good to come back to Hoosier country. And uh, I'd like to share with you something. Uh, uh, if, if there is a history gene, I have that. And uh, as, my fa- as my brother, you know, uh, is a history professor, also teaches church history at the New Geneva Seminary. Uh, so uh, if, if it's possible. And I also see with our young people here, I want to make sure of one thing this day is that you're not bored with history. Okay, we want to be exciting. We're going to have a few historical things today. So history is not boring. Even in my days as a child in Newcastle in the school system there, I had good history teachers. Maybe that was a part of it. I loved history. And uh, so we're going to study some of that today. But tomorrow at 8.30 a.m., 56 years ago, I was born in Henry County Hospital the first baby born in Henry County in 1967. It was such a momentous event, I made the front page of the paper. They used to do that back then and got a little silver cup from the paper, the Courier Times. So uh, that's kind of my birthday to be back. And if I could have really given a birthday present to myself yesterday, what I wanted to do, I think Zach and I talked about this the last time, is I wanted to go down US 40 to Knightstown put on my overalls and go to the stock sale. That's what I really wanted to do. If I would have had my truck, I would have done it. Might have even bought a, a, you know, a steer or something, who knows, but uh, that just didn't work out. So a second great opportunity is to be here with the Free Church Congregation with you all and to be back home. You know, the old song, Back Home Again in Indiana, it's true. And uh, my parents left the, the tobacco fields of Kentucky. They came to the automotive plants of uh, East Central Indiana, of course, a lot of them came to Indianapolis, but in our neck of the woods, you know, several of the big three manufacturers were there. So it's good to be here. And I also was thinking as I read 1 Corinthians about uh, Paul's uh, exhortation about love, how he talked about being a child. And I always do that. I always reminisce when I come here. My younger son was with me about a year ago. He said, yeah, dad's reminiscing again. He told one of his friends about things and just the way it is. But this is my homeland. This is where I grew up. And I was thinking about my childhood and my parents. And I was uh, remembering my father's funeral. 
And uh, we had uh, a funeral here in Indiana, a funeral in Kentucky, where most of the family is buried on, on both sides. And actually, the last of my aunts and uncles passed away Memorial Day. So all of those aunts and uncles have gone to be with the Lord. They were like second sets of parents as we grew up there in East Central Indiana. But anyhow, the, one of the uh, pastors who spoke uh, was telling a story about Dad as he had his morning Bible reading. And he had just read 1 Corinthians 13. And he told my mom, he said, I just read 1 Corinthians 13. And she said, read it again, Charles. And she wanted to see it outworked a little bit more. But the Lord gave them 42 and a half years together before his untimely passing uh, at age 64. And one of the things we're able to do, though, we have some Canadians here with us, is that I took my parents for the first time to Niagara Falls on the Canadian side. And I remember sitting there with my father. I said, Dad, what do you think? He said, Son, I could sit here all day and watch the flow of this water. It's just amazing. And I uh, always enjoyed that. Now I know with the, I guess the passport thing, you can't just walk over. But uh, anyway, it's it, back in the day when people would come to visit us, that's one of the things we sometimes do is go up to Niagara Falls. So all that being said, it's good to be here. Happy New Year to you all. 2023 and Lord willing I'll be 56 years old tomorrow and uh, still kicking and uh, have a cousin in Greenfield who if we grew up together he's 55 so I'm uh, caught up I'm past him again until the summertime so well in a biography of love we have emphasized already the word love in our reading and in our songs and love is an amazing word now it's not a word that the secular world really understands But Christians should understand love. I remember that revelation to me when I was studying language, how the Greek language has a number of words for love. And, of course, really we have one word, love, in different applications. But as you know, if anyone knows anything about Greek, they know that word agape. Even in Newcastle, there was an agape center near our home. And it's uh, the love that is sacrificial, the love that gives. And it's the love that Paul was talking about when we read that in 1 Corinthians. And when you think of charity, you think of giving, especially here in the Christmas season. A lot of people, they think charity, the bell ringers for the Salvation Army, you know, that's charity. Well, that's giving. But as a believer, we understand love as it was demonstrated to us and what God gave to us and what the Son gave to us, but then how we are to give to others. And our desire is the best interests of the other party if we really understand love. And so I want to talk about uh, that word because of the text that we will go to and also some people that will lead us to a greater understanding. So this is a biography of three people. I like biographies. I like to read biographies. I like to watch biographies. I think one of the biographies that really impacted my life early on was the biography of George Whitfield and the things that God did in his life and his preaching ministry. But uh, This biography of love is going to center on briefly here with John Knox, and then we're going to look at the Apostle John, and then this is in in order of importance, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the most important biography that we could ever read. So I want to talk first of all this morning about John Knox. John Knox was known as the Thundering Scot. I have a little book that's now fading a bit, uh, my brother edited, and it's a great little book if you want just short, uh, bite-sized information about church history. It's called 
Faith of Our Fathers, seen from church histories, and also the American church history version of this too. And uh, one of my professors, who was also my brother's professor and was a member of the Greenville Church, was Dr. Edward Pinozian, a dear brother, went to be with the Lord not too long ago. And uh, he wrote the article here about um, John Knox, and he said something very, very neat. When um, a number of years ago, we had Dr. Pinozian come because he used to do the Reformation in first person. He would play a number of the Reformation characters. It's very fascinating. And so I had a lot of questions I wanted to ask him. We had time together that we'd really never had before. And so I asked him about a man named Dr. Charles Brokenshire. We have any Bob Jones affiliated people here? Have you ever heard of Brokenshire? My one cousin who lives over in New Lisbon used to call it Broken Shower, just to be funny. You know, he didn't go there. But uh, Brokenshire was an amazing man. In case you don't know, Dr. Charles Brokenshire trained at Princeton Seminary. That was the flagship Presbyterian seminary back in the day until it kind of crashed and burned like our country in 1929. Well, Dr. Brokenshire, I have a letter that he had written because somebody had asked on a biography of Benjamin Warfield. Is that a name some of you have heard, Dr. Benjamin Warfield? Well, Benjamin Warfield was the president at one time there, and he also examined Charles Brokenshire in Greek. He was quite the linguist and quite a, a, a great man. And Dr. Pinozian had Dr. Brokenshire for a teacher. And so after he passed away, some things went to different people of his possessions. He was a single man, never married. And uh, Dr. Pinozian found a postcard. I want to read this for you. He said, I, I found a postcard between the pages of one of the well-used books in the library of Dr. Charles Brokenshire, a saintly scholar and revered teacher. On the opposite side of the card, he had written a message to his nephew, quote, Scotland has erected no monument on the grave of John Knox, for Scotland is his monument. He went on to say he was, a, he was courageous and true. Dear nephew, may you be such a man. And uh, so that is true. You know, there is no grave that marks where John Knox was, but uh, certainly the faith uh, the Presbyterian faith in particular uh, was really put forward and established there in Scotland during that time. So John Knox, uh, he was Scottish, but he kind of moved around a bit because of the unsettled things back at that Reformation period and, you know, the issues, battles between uh, the Romanist and the Protestants. And so one of the places that he went to was to England. He was actually a chaplain at the court of uh, Edward VI, the boy Josiah, he was known. He was the son of Henry VIII. And to me, it's one of the what-ifs of history. He, Edward VI was also called Edward the Sick because he was never very well. He died at age 16, but he was a godly, godly young man. And certainly John Knox had an impact on him. So the what-ifs of history for me is what if he had lived? Well, that wasn't in God's plan, but I've often thought about that. So he was there in England. Uh, in Scotland, he was a bodyguard to one of the leaders at that time. Pretty amazing. So he must have been quite a presence of a man as he was a bodyguard to one of the Reformation leaders. And, uh, but during his time in Scotland with these issues between uh, the Romanist church and, and Protestantism, he himself was put on a galley uh, or slave on a, on a galley ship. And uh, he was a rower in that, that ship for a period of time. 
And uh, one of the things that Dr. Renosian notes is that at one point they were in port and they had some sort of idol of Mary. And they were passing it around to all the galley slaves saying, you must kiss this idol. And so when it came to John Knox, he took it and he chucked it in the water. He said, let our lady learn to swim. So uh, that's the kind of fearlessness that he had as a thundering Scot and one who was a great leader. One of the places as he traveled, I mentioned Scotland and England, that really impacted his life was Switzerland, the town of Geneva, a place that I've been to. Of course, uh, that was where John Calvin ministered. And when Knox saw what was going on there, he said, this is the greatest school going on since the time of the apostles. He was really impressed by what he saw there and what he learned, and then ultimately coming back to Scotland itself. So this is sort of a brief background, and I won't try to fill in all the gaps. I have another book here that my brother told me about that kind of gives a more extensive view of John Knox, Uh, but this brief one is, is certainly sufficient. But what I found... And the reason I'm trying to tie this together is that there was one passage of Scripture that really impacted John Knox's life from the beginning till the end. And that was John chapter 17. And that's where our focus is going here this morning. John chapter 17. And he said, that's where I first cast my plow. That was his quote. That's where I first cast my plow. That was the passage that impacted his life. And even on his deathbed, he wanted John 17 to be read to him. So throughout his life, he said, it was my anchor. It was my anchor. And uh, what a wonderful passage it is. So John Knox was the Scottish leader of the Reformation. Uh, the thundering Scot, as he was called, and faithful to ministry. No monument to him, but Scotland is his monument. So John Knox, there we have his biography briefly. Secondly, let's talk about the author of the Gospel of John, and that's the Apostle John. We talk about John the Apostle. Well, he's a writer of the Gospel of John, but also 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. So much of our New Testament was written by the Apostle John. He was the youngest of all the apostles of the 12 that were originally chosen by Jesus. He was the youngest of all the apostles. We also find out from the scriptures that he was a brother of James. And Jesus gave James and John a special name, Boanerges. Do you remember that? Sons of Thunder. And I think of John being a very loving and gracious person, as you'll understand as I go through this biography on him, and he was. But apparently, too, like John Knox was a thundering Scot, James and John were sons of thunder, ones that uh, were very forceful in their stand. He was called in this Gospel of John five times the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, his name wasn't mentioned. I think it's a little bit self-effacing on John's part, but he talks about himself. He was the disciple that Jesus loved. And much of what we know, maybe I could say this safely, most of what we know in the New Testament about the subject of love comes from the writings of John. So the disciple whom Jesus loved, who talked so much about love, really understood love. And probably everyone here, we never want this to be something that we take for granted because we've heard it all of our lives. But think of those words, for God so loved the world 
And then we understand love in the next phrase, that he gave. And that's what agape love is. It's a giving love, a sacrificial love that has the other party at the highest interest. And that's what we see here in the scriptures. So from the writings of John, we learn about the subject of love. You may also know in the extra history that we find, uh, early history of the New Testament church, that the majority, maybe all, of the apostles were eventually martyred. But John, that was not the case. And we know what happened to John by reading the book of Revelation, that he was exiled. That was what was going on with the particular leader of the Roman Empire at that time. He was put in exile on Patmos, and that's when he received the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a very important thing to keep in mind when we think of end times? Um, you know, I see things people put, the first thing they put is revelations. They put an S on it. And it's not revelations, it's revelation, but literally it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that is so important to keep that in mind because people get off on all these, you know, tangents and things and, uh, we realize it's about Jesus Christ. But of course, from beginning to end in the scriptures, it's about Jesus Christ. And the first gospel we find in Genesis 3 is a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he wasn't martyred. He died in exile there. And the overall theme, even though love is an important theme for today and in the writings of John, the overall theme of the book of John, the gospel of John, is that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. If you'll turn just for a moment, look how it begins. It's very interesting how John begins. And I know you know this, but turn to John chapter 1. Here's the words that John says, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is so much like Genesis 1. In the beginning. Because God has no beginning or end. Jesus is forever. Jesus is eternal. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And certainly the religious leaders at that time understood what Jesus was saying when he said that because he is the God man. And of course here at Christmas time we have celebrated and remembered the incarnation and virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So... Jesus is God. One of the important statements in John's gospel at the end, after his resurrection, when Thomas, known as Doubting Thomas, says, I won't believe unless I see. And so Jesus let him see. And what was the response? What was the reply that Thomas made? These words, so important, especially when you're battling uh, Jehovah's Witnesses or false witnesses. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Did Jesus rebuke him when he said that? No, he accepted it and the worship. I know later in the story, uh, like we said, we can destroy the, the manger scenes with the wise men being there, but they fell down and worshiped him and uh, because he was deserving of that worship. And uh, this is kind of an aside, but uh, uh, something I, wanted, I was thinking about um, have you had Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door? I don't know if they are around Indianapolis. They did in Newcastle when I was there. And sometimes you could have conversations. Sometimes you couldn't. But a friend of mine told me that uh, uh, one of his friends had a pet skunk. And uh, I guess skunks make good 
good pets if you have them descended, so I'm told. So I, I said, well, what, what good is, is a pet skunk? He said, well, if you have it on your porch, it'll definitely keep the Jehovah's Witnesses away. So there you go. If you guys ever want to get a pet skunk, you know, on your porch, it'll keep, uh, keep uh, them and other intruders away from you at that time. All right. So we've looked at the biography of John Knox and how John 17 impacted his life. We looked at John, the apostle, who, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, penned those words. Now... Let's talk about the biography of Christ. Of course, that's something that we could spend days and weeks never exhausting that truth. But we're going to focus for a few moments on John 17. And let me say this. As we look back of how John 17 impacted the life of John Knox throughout his lifetime, John 17 really, truly is the Lord's Prayer. Now, I know it's been called this model prayer of our Father who art in heaven has been called the Lord's Prayer. But uh, it's more of a model prayer because certainly if Christ was praying those words as he taught us to pray, he doesn't ask for forgiveness of sin because he was sinless. He was perfect. So really, we call the Lord's Prayer is the model prayer. And this here, Christ's intercessory prayer of John 17 is truly the Lord's Prayer more specifically. And so Christ here prays for many things, but it's a very, very impacting passage. And part of what we see also is that topic of love. But when you think of Christ, he is eternal because he's God. He came to this earth, as we read in the scriptures, especially in the writings of Paul, uh, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. And uh, Philippians 2, I think, uh, talks about leaving the glory of heaven and how he came to earth. And or Isaiah 53, the kinds of sufferings of the servant, things it talked about as God left heaven and came to earth. And then lived the perfect life that we could not live. Died in our place. Was uh, raised the third day and then eventually ascended into heaven. And as Acts tells us, the next book after John that when they watched him go slowly, visibly, and bodily into heaven, the angels said, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus will come again in the same and like manner. So that is the promise. That's part of what we realize in our theology of who Christ is, that there is a second coming. Yes, the first coming was completed so long ago, 2,000-ish years ago, but now we wait that second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we find here? Well, I'm going to look at three verses and three things that we find here concerning the issue of love, but most of all concerning the person of Christ. The first thing I want us to see, and this will be in verse 26, which we'll read in just a moment, is the Father's love for his Son. Now, these are all the words of Christ. The Father's love for his Son. Look at verse 26, please. John chapter 17. Jesus says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Jesus says, the love wherewith thou hast loved me. Certainly there is a special relationship. It's interesting that Jesus says in one of his statements in the Gospels, go to my God and your God, my Father and your Father. 
He speaks of that relationship. And here, as he prays to his father, from the cross as he prayed to his father, we see that uh, Trinitarian relationship. And also, though, what we see in the Gospels, obviously, especially to me in the Gospel of Luke, is his humanity of who he was. And you know, there's been a lot of erroneous understandings, misunderstandings of who Christ was. He was a real man, 100% God, 100% man. The God-man is a great title to give to him. And uh, born uh, as a, a baby and then grew in, in the home. We don't have a lot about Christ's childhood. Luke gives us most of what we have. You know, Matthew a little bit, but Luke tells us what we know. But the man, the perfect man that we see in Luke's gospel, the sufferings of Christ and the hunger that he knew, the thirst that he knew, this, this, you know, the different sufferings and sorrows that he knew. Read Isaiah 53 if you want an Old Testament perspective on the things it says about who Christ was. But the Father loves the Son. And so Jesus said, the love wherewith that has been my love from the Father, he goes on to say that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. So Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ is our all in all. The Father loves the Son. Secondly, let's look at Christ's love and desire for his people. Christ's love and desire for his people. Look at verse 24, if you would, please. Jesus prayed, Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. What does Christ articulate to us here? Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am. Isn't it a wonderful promise that, as I mentioned about losing loved ones, that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord? To be with Christ is far, far better, as the Apostle Paul speaks of. That we don't sorrow as others without hope. Yes, it breaks our hearts. When I laid my uncle to rest over in that cemetery with the family there earlier this year, you know, that really, really hit me because of all of those aunts and uncles now being gone and you know i look being 56 tomorrow i told zach this morning said zach look at that beautiful dark hair and beard it's coming this way all right this is what's going to happen over time and it's just the way of things right uh, uh, we get older folks does it get any easier when you get older i i there's one thing i'd like to point out to you especially in light of first corinthians 13 thinking as a child a dear friend of mine a mentor british mentor uh, really in the Reformed faith and many things. He said, Chris, we age physically, but we don't age mentally. And I believe that, you know, because I look at myself in the mirror, okay, I, I, it is what it is, but I still think I can do all those things that I've always done. You know, I don't feel, I still feel like the little kid on Pickett Avenue right off of Road 3 in Newcastle, Indiana. You know, that's just how it is and how our minds sometimes work. But uh, with that being said here, Christ's love and desire for his people is that they be with him where he is. To do what? To behold his glory. To behold his glory. Just a little bit of a foretaste was given to three of the disciples, James and John and Peter, the Mount of Transfiguration, when he was transformed in their presence. 
presence. And there you had Moses and Elijah speaking. It was quite an event that took place. But you saw the glory of Christ. And we read Revelation. It talks about that glory of Christ, of who he is. But uh, there's a couple of passages I'd like for us to look at in cross-reference to this to show us Christ's love and desire for his people. Because he says here in verse 24 that we be where he is, that we behold his glory, and that's a glory that he's had forever, before even the foundation of the world. Let's quickly look at a couple of passages. First of all, in the same gospel, John, turn to chapter 1 for a moment. John chapter 1, verse 14. Now this talks about on earth. We've talked a little bit today about Christ's incarnation. Certainly that's generally a Christmas theme. But in John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, speaking again of Christ, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The testimony of John, disciple whom Jesus loved, is that we beheld His glory. John also says in his epistles that we saw Him and we heard Him and we touched Him And, of course, John, they loved him. They were with him, but they beheld his glory. So now the glorified Christ, as he sits in heaven as our great high priest, desires that we be with him to behold his glory. You know, Charles Spurgeon said something interesting, quite quite, uh, stark, I think, that heaven would be hell if Christ were not there. And so Christ, who is altogether lovely. Let's turn just for a moment to 2 Peter. We certainly learn much from Peter and his life in the Gospels, but also his epistles. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses that I know will be familiar to you. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. Peter says, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And if ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, Pass the time of your sojourning here in fear, forasmuch as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. And the first part I'd like to emphasize is that we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. Verse 19 tells us that, redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. But in Second Peter, also chapter 1, let's turn there just for a moment. Verses 16 through 18. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 18. Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard, when we were with him in the holy mount. So that goes back to what I was speaking of, the transfiguration when they saw the glory of Christ. And one final passage as we speak of revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Turn to chapter 21, the very end of this book, latter chapter. Revelation 21 and verse 23. So it speaks of heaven and the Lamb being there. 
Verse 23 says, And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. That's a very incredible statement to me, that what we know in the way of light, with the sun and the moon when it's out, the light that it gives, there's no need of that because God will be the light. We know that Jesus in his I am statement said that he's the light of the world, but here we see he's the light of heaven. He's the light of heaven. And uh, I remember when my dad's oldest brother passed away, and there were two ministers that ministered at that time, and this oldest brother was quite, a, quite an individual, a hero in World War II, and uh, saw an incredible action, was with uh, Patton, old blood and guts, didn't talk much about his experiences, but saw many, many things, as many of my uncles did in World War II. But um, one of the pastors there kept saying, there will be sunshine in heaven. There will be sunshine in heaven. And even as a child, I thought, no, there won't. You know, there's no need of that because God is the glory. And glory, glory dwells, as the hymn writer says, in Emmanuel's land. Well, finally, under this category of the biography of Christ, I want us to go back to John chapter 17 for a conclusion with one verse. I have a little item here in my Bible, which is probably hard to see in the back there, but it's a gospel track. And the name of this track is The Message of the Bible, written by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Probably many of you have heard of the uh, great expositor of England, Westminster Chapel, Dr. Lloyd-Jones. Two men that I know, one with the Lord and one that I haven't talked to for a while, both knew Dr. Lloyd-Jones. So it was interesting to talk to them as they knew him. Uh, but on the verse that we're going to read, I want to give commentary, give preface to it. Because Dr. Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor, who became a minister a bit like one of your ministers, at least I told him that, uh, Brother Pollock over in um, Malvern Church, that he was a medical doctor and since the call to ministry and became a minister. And I met him about a year ago, actually, and I went to their service. But nonetheless, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said this, that if what we are about to read was not in the Bible, he could not believe it. That what we are about to read, Dr. Lloyd-Jones said, if it were not in the Bible, humanly speaking, I could not believe it. So it should be impacting, at least we hope so. So let's look at those words and read those words that Dr. Lloyd-Jones said. It just completely left him awestruck. And that is verse 23 of chapter 17. Jesus said, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect and one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. The phrase that impacted his life so greatly was when Jesus says, you have loved your people as you have loved me. And Lloyd-Jones was just stunned. He said, how could it be that the father love us equally to the son? But the passage just told us that is the case. That as the Son was loved by the Father, so has he loved his people. And think of Christ's love for us in laying down his life. See, this is where the love theme, biblically, it's hard to express it. It's hard for us to get our minds around it. 
I like to say I get a Charlie horse in my brain when I seek to comprehend it because I can't comprehend the love of God. We're going to close in a few moments with a song about the love of God. We've tried to sing about it. Authors have tried to write about it. But it's so amazing, so deep. Even Charles Wesley, we sang, Arise, My Soul, Arise. He said, Amazing love, how can it be that Christ my God should die for me? Christ loving us, who were not lovely, who were not deserving of love, but by grace chose us, has called us, has kept us, and has given us this promise that he will have us where he is. John 14, that where he is, we may be also to behold his glory for all eternity. That's quite a biography, isn't it? Of our, our Savior and Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. Loving us with a love that is really incomprehensible. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this biography of love. Lord, we thank you for the life of those in our history, like the Reformers or like the Apostles themselves, Lord, or people in our own families or friends who have impacted our lives. But, Father, none of them are as important as our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us, dying in our place. Father, by your Spirit, now take these words and impact our lives. Help us to be humbled by the love that we know in Christ and help us to love with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And as we are summing up the commandments, not only doing that, but to love our neighbor as ourselves. Father, we praise you for the love of God, for the love of Christ, and how he gave his life that we can have life eternally. Pray now again for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.